Old Vines Written by Sevdrak and read by Literarian Chapter 17 Floral Flavors and Blossoms on the Vine Part 1 To Gabriel Archer gArcher at fta.com From AZFell AZFell at fta.com CC Michael Rosa M Rosa at fta.com Warlock Dowling Warlock T Dowling at amx.cre.us.gov Subject First Chapter Hello Gabriel Everything continues to go quite swimmingly here Aziraphale's fingers stop on the keys. It isn't necessarily a lie. Things are going quite wonderfully. He's blogging, he's writing, everything here tastes lovely, and Anthony J. Crowley kissed him back in this very kitchen. Aziraphale wonders whether the exclamation point is too much. He finds it rather superfluous, but Gabriel just uses so many, and Gabriel's the one Aziraphale is trying to keep happy. As we discussed on Friday, I've attached what I think will be the first chapter of my California novel. You'll note that there are still placeholders in the text. That's because I'd like to fill those in with some information on the life cycle of the vines, which I don't have at the moment. Nevertheless, it should give you an idea of the feeling and mood I'd like this novel to carry. I do hope it's more to your liking. I've worked quite hard on it. Thank you. Aziraphale. He attaches the separate file he's created and stares at it. This isn't the book he wants to write. This chapter can be saved, certainly. It isn't entirely tosh. But Aziraphale is... Well, see, it's a bit of an experiment. Gabriel had been so hard on the first snippets Aziraphale had sent, though. It had been quite disheartening. So Aziraphale had set that particular document aside and... started another. He'd taken his first chapter and, well, torn it apart. He isn't an idiot. He reads what gets posted on his blog and he knows the style of writing FTA prefers to see. So Aziraphale had picked through his perfect first chapter, deleted anything too personal and added in a whole bunch of upbeat, perky, positive junk sentences of the sort he's seen inserted into his own articles. He's curious whether Gabriel will like this version better or if... Well, Aziraphale needs to know. Is Gabriel's problem with his work because of the work or because of Aziraphale himself? It isn't against the rules. In fact, he's done exactly what they're paying him to do. Cater the book to FTA's particular tastes. As for the book, 
the real book, the one that sits hovering in Aziraphale's heart, the one whose words seem to leap from his fingers to the screen with no effort on his part. As for that book, it sits open on Aziraphale's tablet as he slowly adds to it. No one needs to see that one yet. This new chapter, it's much safer. Aziraphale hits send. Ready a chapter, Warlock says, out of nowhere. They're sitting out on the giant patio at Liberty while conquering a bottle of Meritage from a little place called Cernanim that they'd found the week prior. Warlock had managed to fire up the ancient-looking grill sitting in the gravel next to the driveway and had triumphantly prepared hot dogs and grilled corn from the fresh stash Madame Tracy had gifted them with. Aziraphale had to admit that, while he wasn't necessarily a fan of the hot dog in principle, having one smothered with ketchup, relish, and the taste of Warlock's victory over the antiquated charcoal was actually quite an enjoyable experience. One was a lie. He'd had three. Warlock, incessantly hungry, had eaten five. Oh, Aziraphale says, very intelligently. Then, a breath later, You know you don't need to. Not yet. Copied you as a formality, dear boy, not as an assignment. Yeah, I know. Warlock stretches out his long legs in a move that reminds Aziraphale of Crowley's decadent scrawling. Wanted to see. Aziraphale swallows. There's a thin line he has to walk here. He doesn't want to admit to Warlock, yet, that he's deliberately sending Gabriel something that's not exactly his best and most genuine work, but he also doesn't want Warlock to think he's shite at his job. I was most careful to keep the style Gabriel had asked for, he replies carefully. Warlock snorts. <laughs> I could tell, he says, and Aziraphale winces, ready for the criticism. He's gonna like it, though, Warlock adds, and Aziraphale relaxes back into his chair. Good. Aziraphale swirls his glass, agitated, but then breathes in the aroma. He's fairly sure this is some kind of Pinot Noir and Syrah meritage, and it's absolutely rich with unusual notes. It must have been oaked for at least three years, because it's absolutely full up with spices. Rosemary, vanilla, cloves, possibly licorice. The Syrah is absolutely dominating the Pinot Noir, but Aziraphale can taste the Pinot in the aftertaste, the way that incredibly complex mouthful fades into blackberries and blueberries. He still needs to write this place up. 
He'd intended to do it over the weekend, but then Saturday night had been so... incandescent. Aziraphale had been basically useless all day Sunday, wandering around the house, humming and smiling randomly at ugly furniture. He suspects Warlock knows something has happened, but as Warlock had spent the evening at Adam Young's apartment, Aziraphale isn't quite sure what Warlock thinks he knows. So, Warlock says, topping off his glass and accidentally killing the meritage. Shit, sorry, do you want it? Oh, no, my dear boy. Aziraphale shakes his head. There are so many new bottles inside. I'm happy to open another. Anyway, Warlock continues. What do you think of this place so far? We've been here, what, two months? Has it really been that long? Aziraphale asks, knowing the answer. Warlock grins and cackles a bit. <laughs> Keep up, old man. Aziraphale looks out. The sun has just set, leaving the sky streaked with colour down near the horizon and gapingly empty above them as night pushes through twilight. He still doesn't know who uses the vineyards around the house. Are they for show, or does some local winery actually tend and care for and harvest these vines? He hasn't seen any sign of labour, but then again, he doesn't spend every minute in the house. This area is breathtaking, he tells Warlock, his voice hushed. The sights, the scents, the tastes, everything is so new, but in a good way, he adds hastily. New to me doesn't mean new to the area, of course, it's just... Aziraphale trails off, pensive. It's like nowhere else I've ever been. Warlock makes a noise of agreement and Aziraphale glances over. The other man is now crumpled up into his chair like a piece of paper, Legs tucked under arms and head resting on what might be an elbow. Aziraphale isn't sure. He's watching the horizon and there's something thoughtful on his face that sounds a companionable note inside of Aziraphale as if echoing something he himself feels. And what about you? Warlock Dowling has travelled to so many places with Aziraphale, and Aziraphale has watched him bear them all with the same aloof American aplomb that had him hiring Warlock in the first place. He's expecting the same kind of answer, some sort of warm snark reminding Aziraphale that people are alike everywhere, and Warlock's job is so portable he could do it from the loo. But instead, Warlock sighs, and it's almost wistful to Aziraphale's ears. <sighs> I love it, Warlock says, 
and it's so casual that it takes Aziraphale a full minute to hear how absolutely raw it is, how hard it is for Warlock to admit something like that. Aziraphale knows Warlock's parents have done quite a number on their only child, but there are moments like these, moments he can hear it, that really resonate with Aziraphale. These moments that reveal to him just how much Warlock keeps his real self under wraps, so careful to only dole it out in pieces, protective and cautious. Warlock's so good at self-image, and Aziraphale wonders where he learned it. Is it a reflective thing from his distant father and overbearing mother, or is it intuitive? Aziraphale has worked with Warlock for years, and he'd like to think he knows the young man better than most, but there are times Warlock remains a complete mystery. Aziraphale glances over, realizing his silence may have come across as judgment, but Warlock is staring at the horizon. It isn't a city. Warlock continues after a few moments of silence, and Aziraphale's heart warms when he realizes Warlock's opening up to him somewhat. The towns here are tiny. Each winery can be half a mile, a full mile apart. It's just... people out here, just people being themselves. It's an interesting take. Aziraphale takes a moment to think about it. Warlock grew up in a collection of giant cities with the weight of politics bearing down upon him. It shouldn't be so surprising to find that the young man enjoys this kind of space. It is, Aziraphale says, trying to sound encouraging. He thinks of it for a moment and then says, carefully, as the thought has truly just occurred to him, The land here is as important as the people. Yes, Warlock says, enthused. He drinks down his glass and then stares back out at the cloud-spotted horizon as he swallows. The space here, every bit of it is important. The land, the vines, the wineries, even what they call downtown. No one bit's better than another. It's an interesting statement. Aziraphale considers it in light of what he knows about Warlock, and that makes more sense. For someone who's had to navigate his entire life based on the ability to understand which people are most important, maybe this leveling is revealing. They sit silent for a couple of minutes. The light at the horizon is slowly dimming, and Aziraphale is continually glancing upwards to try to see when the stars begin to reveal their faces. It's only around 15 degrees Celsius, even though it's already June, 
and Aziraphale tugs his comfortable cardigan closer to his body as he watches the sky darken into true night. Another, Warlock asks, and Aziraphale makes a noise of approval. He has room for another glass, certainly. Shall I choose? He offers, because Warlock hates having to pick what to drink. He usually waits for recommendations, either from Aziraphale himself or from whatever expert they're speaking to at the chosen vantage point. I could live here, Warlock says eventually, as neither one of them has moved. I think I could live here as... Aziraphale looks up to the sky, where two stars have emerged, shimmering thinly against the fading light. I think I could too, he thinks. I'll go grab us something, he says instead, standing up. Should I bring out the chocolates? Please, Warlock groans, dramatically desperate, and Aziraphale smiles a secret smile to himself as he moves inside to choose their next target. To AZFell, azfell at fta.com From Gabriel Archer Archer at fta.com Copy Michael Rosa mrosa at fta.com Warlock Dowling Warlock T. Dowling at amx.cre.us.gov Subject Re First Chapter Aziraphale! I'm amazed! Astounded! You've possibly knocked me off my feet! What does that say and mean anyway? Not my socks off? What are all of these analogies about footwear even about? Anyway, this selection is brilliant. It will certainly need some editing. Haha, <laughs> it's okay, no one's expected to be perfect their first time round, but my boy, you are absolutely on the right track. Keep up the good work and you'll have a published book in no time. Send me some nice photos if you would. Or get your boy to send them. Your boss needs a little pick-me-up after last week's budget meeting, if you know what I mean. Have fun. Sincerely, Gabriel A. Archer. Director Content Management, Food and Travel Adventures. FTA Inc. All rights reserved. Ecstasies is full when Aziraphale heads over on a Friday night, dropped off by an eager warlock. His assistant is apparently heading off to pick up his friends for another video game night at Le Petit Voile. A busy winery is good news for Crowley, so Aziraphale just tucks himself into his usual corner table and brings out his tablet. He's used to this settling in and working on something until the tasting bar opens. It looks like two larger groups at the tasting bar. One is maybe a family, the way they're interacting with each other, 
while the other is a group of young women that may be celebrating an engagement, a wedding, or just a happy week on vacation. It's endearing to watch. Aziraphale doesn't like unnecessary noise or rowdy groups in public, but this small collection of women seems so genuinely happy he can't bring himself to be upset. Instead, he watches them surreptitiously, plucking sentences into his open document slowly as they come to him. He spots Crowley after maybe twenty minutes at his table, and, as always happens, Aziraphale's breath catches in his throat. Aziraphale's no fashion victim. He has his own tastes, and that's that. And yet, everything he sees Crowley in seems the absolute epitome of flattering. Today, Crowley's bustling around behind the tasting bar with his hair down, those copper-red curls tighter and sleeker than usual. They bounce forward and back over his shoulders as he laughs and look so soft Aziraphale wants to go tangle his fingers in them again. Crowley's wearing black jeans and a short-sleeved burgundy red button-down, Buttons open to the middle of his chest, such that Aziraphale has a clear view of his clavicle, as well as a dusting of burnished red chest hair. There's a silver necklace round his neck that catches the light as he moves, and Aziraphale thinks he might be the most beautiful thing he's ever seen. It's a dangerous thought. But, oh, Aziraphale can't help it. It'll end how it ends, but at the moment, Crowley's gleaming like a sunset, and all Aziraphale wants is to set his teeth into that dusky lip, to put his mouth to the line he can see beneath Crowley's shirt, and to see what happens. Instead, Aziraphale manages to write an entire three sentences before he looks up as Crowley clatters into the chair across from him. Crowley is bright, loud, glowing. Crowley can sprawl enough to take over an entire chair and then some, whereas Aziraphale can only tentatively occupy a space as if he's waiting for it to be taken back. Angel, Crowley drawls, obviously in a good mood. The sunglasses are anchored on his face, and his mouth is loose, happy. He gathers his hair up and tugs it over his left shoulder, grinning as he pulls it into place. How's the evening? Oh, it's delightful, Aziraphale says. He hasn't written more than 50 words the entire time he's been here, which is not really a good thing, but Crowley's glowing from his pores and Aziraphale wants to taste, and that's really taking over his mind at the moment. I see you don't have a glass, Crowley says. He has one arm splayed across the table, 
and one wrapped over the back of the chair. At some angle, Aziraphale isn't sure he could obtain himself without yoga. What can I get you? Oh, Aziraphale demurs, ducking his face. There's no rush. You have customers. Crowley makes one of his loud laughing noises, and Aziraphale can't help but smile. I'll go see what's open, he tells Aziraphale, and presses himself up from the chair in a feat of flexible beauty, heading back behind the bar. This is nice, Aziraphale thinks. Everything that has happened with Crowley has been nice. There's really no use in overthinking it, not now, and when you filter out all of the anxiety and caution that normally comes along with this kind of thing, it's absolutely delightful. He watches the breadth of red hair gesture this way and that, until Crowley has two glasses in hand, full, and works his way free of anathema at the bar. Here we go, says Crowley, as he impacts again onto the free chair. The rains. Pinot Gris. It's warm out there, Angel. Let's manage that. Oh, thank you, dear boy, Aziraphale says, and he watches Crowley's face flush a beautiful petal pink as Aziraphale lifts his glass and sips. The Pinot Gris is absolutely gorgeous. A thick lavender floating over peach and melon, with a nutty vanilla ending echoing around the mouth once the wine has been swallowed. It's perfectly chilled. He's had it before, but he always forgets about it until Crowley brings it out. It's an entire bouquet of flavors right down his throat, and it leaves his taste buds tingling. Crowley jerks his head towards the tablet. How's the writing? Aziraphale bites his tongue for a moment. The truthful answer is, I've absolutely been distracted by the cut of your shirt, and I've only written a few words. The safe answer is, oh, I've written a good bit of this next article. Instead, his mouth sort of gabbles both approaches, and he says, I've written a bit, but maybe not a lot. Crowley grins. What? he drawls. Is this a bit distracting? Rather than obfuscating or even demurring, Aziraphale laughs and tucks his chin in. <laughs> you know you are, he murmurs, at a tone where he knows Crowley will hear him, but he also knows Crowley can pretend not to hear if it suits him. Crowley seems to choose the more weighted middle ground. Don't let us keep you from writing your incredibly flattering articles he says, and the sprawl seems to take over more square footage, as if Crowley's expanding. I'll keep feeding you wine for that. Oh, 
says Aziraphale, with a bit of spark in it. Do you think I'm that easy, my boy? The response seems to throw Crowley, but not in the oh-god-no way, more in the are-we-really-going-there way. His grin goes open, crooked, and oh heaven, but Aziraphale wants to press his thumb against Crowley's lips, now open with amusement. Not sure yet. Crowley drags out, across the guttural lines of his throat. Maybe we'll see. Aziraphale sips again at his glass. He hasn't really paid much attention to this particular wine. The others seem much louder, but honestly, it's a perfectly balanced deliverance of tartness, sweetness and smoothness. It doesn't shout or yell. Instead, it just sits in perfect harmony, sliding over Aziraphale's tongue. It is a bit hot today, Aziraphale thinks, knowing that his eyes continue to drag down to the skin across Crowley's collarbones. Heavens, but he wants to taste. This is lovely, he tells Crowley, gesturing with the glass. Although I must ask, how on earth do you come up with all of these names? Crowley barks laughter again, his head tilting back briefly, the lovely lines of his throat flashing. Do you know how many people ask me that? I'm sure quite a few, Aziraphale tells him, letting a bit of a smirk out. You're not subtle, my dear. I'm not? Crowley asks him, almost coquettish, and a frisson of thrill lights up in Aziraphale's belly. The flirting is nearly as delicious as the kissing, now that they're both on the same page and all. Adam and Eve, Aziraphale tilts his head. Apocalypse, Magnificat. Come now, someone's got a thing for the Christian Bible, it seems. Crowley snorts into his own glass. <laughs> a thing, he says, pronouncing it with at least four too many syllables. Sure, Angel, you could call it that. Aziraphale resists pointing out that even the stupid nickname has biblical overtones. He's very proud of himself for doing so. It deserves a bit of a proud little wiggle. Does it have anything to do with the mystery of how you got this place? He remembers Crowley's reaction the last time he asked, and he's careful to keep it casual teasing, as flirty as possible. It's a success. This time, Crowley's grin goes wide and smug, and he makes one of those indescribable noises that have far too many vowels, and says, <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? 
I would indeed, Aziraphel murmurs, and it falls into the space between them, all charged and hot. His skin is prickling, and he watches as the flush on Crowley's face deepens. It looks like it may be trying to crawl down his throat to spread across his chest, and oh, heavens, Aziraphel wants to see that happen. Crowley, to his surprise, tilts his sunglasses up to level Aziraphel with a searching look. Aziraphel's always captivated by those eyes. The glimmer of gold and the deep dark brown, such jewel-like facets to both of them. His breath actually catches in his throat and he feels ridiculous, foolish, until he sees the way Crowley's watching it, the way Crowley's mouth parts a bit at the realization. Maybe I'll tell you someday. Crowley says finally, dropping his shades back into place. It's like a shock. The first time Crowley's expressed any sort of reluctance since their lips first met, as tentative as it may be. But he's still smirking, and Aziraphale wonders whether he's meant to take it as a challenge. How serious are you? Crowley seems to be asking. Aziraphale's not sure he has an answer to that yet, other than the desperate mental urge to fly forward, full speed ahead. So he tilts his head, lips pursing up into a smile, and says calmly, I'd like that, my dear boy. The flush, he finds, does spread down across the bit of Crowley's collarbones that he can see. It's as delicious as the rest of him. Labels. Aren't they interesting? We say we taste strawberry raspberry, blackberry, as if our mouths can make the distinction. Now put the fruit itself in front of you and close your eyes. Your mouth can differentiate, yes? Sometimes we can't, though. And isn't it freeing? There isn't always a need to label. Not all things must be defined down to their bare bones. Not all things need a proper title, a proper description. Sometimes things can be left unnamed. Flavors and tastes are like thoughts. They aren't tangible, they cannot be touched and held, they cannot be passed to another. Some situations require the sorting, the naming, the defining, but others do not. There are times it is enough to simply sit and feel without the need to categorize and differentiate. There is a beauty to things that don't quite yet need to be framed. 
those things that can, for a while, defy description. There's something quite delicious and thrilling in that undefined space. It's the potential. The way that, for a long moment, it could be anything. It could be raspberry or it could be plum. That anticipation, that sensation, the breathless pause at apogee. That, there, that moment. There is a beauty in it unlike anything else. And why do we always push to label a new thing? Can we not let it go, let it be? Enjoy the sensations, the touch, the taste, the feel. The sounds, new things our ears are unaware of. Notes of beauty played on an unfamiliar instrument. Must there be a rush to speak, to name? I simply want to exist in that moment, to enjoy without thinking, without translating, without talking. Please do not make me name this too soon. I am not ready. I do not want to ruin it with so much thought and too many words. Please, just let me taste at this altar. Let me be allowed to feel, to give, before it all must be ruined. I am not good with labels. For a man of words, this seems unusual, but there's a weight to it I'm not ready to bear. Please let me have this thing for a while before it must be alphabetized and stored away. Everything is fine. There are three emails in Aziraphale's inbox from Michael with increasingly urgent headers. The first one's subject reads a note about your latest. The second one follows that with another note about your latest. The third email just reads, open this email, Aziraphale. He hasn't opened any of them. Oh, he will eventually. But Aziraphale feels like he knows what they're about. His mind has absolutely been in the clouds lately, thinking incessantly about Crowley. He's been spending so much energy just considering, remembering, daydreaming that his last two blog posts have been, well, what's the phrase? Phoned in. He's let his hands write drivel sentences so that he has something to post. They aren't absolute garbage. Aziraphale is a writer, he knows his craft, but they certainly aren't his normal quality of work. He had been banking on Gabriel, who truly never reads anything Aziraphale writes. He'd absolutely forgotten about Michael, who's much more clever. But it's all right. Aziraphale's had his ups and downs before in the past. 
even his doldrums writing is better than a good number of other writers out there. He can weather his way through anything. He just has to figure out his story and fend off Michael, and all will be well. To AZFL, AZFL at FTA.com From Michael Rosa, mrosa at FTA.com Subject, open this email, Aziraphale. Aziraphale, curious. This isn't your best work. Blocks haven't been either. Problems? Need to fix this before Gabriel catches on. Call me. NPR. Well, that's certainly straightforward. Then again, Michael often is. But Aziraphale absolutely does not want to call Michael at the moment. He needs to get his brain in order. Figure out the angle he's going to use on Michael, prepare his response, make sure all of his little emotional leaks and tells are securely fastened down before he speaks to her at all. He has a routine he uses before speaking to Gabriel. Most times, that is. Gabriel likes to plan things ahead of time, which suits Aziraphale nicely, where he takes all of the messy, untended, insecure things in his head and very neatly and carefully locks them in a box. He puts on the bland, polite, cheerful professional face that Gabriel prefers. He swallows his nerves down deep into his gut and he presents the best version of himself the second he picks up. It works for Gabriel because Gabriel's used to talking to calm, confident business people. Aziraphale can manage it long enough that Gabriel gets what he needs. It works about half the time on Michael Rosa, who is sharper and cleverer than Gabriel. Aziraphale will need a lot more time to prepare himself for this one. So instead, he replies. To Michael Rosa, mrosa at fta.com From AZFell, azfell at fta.com Subject, re-open this email, Aziraphale. Hello, Michael. I'm not entirely sure what you mean, but if you're sensing a problem, I am always happy to hear your advice. I would hate to be posting subpar work without realizing it. I look forward to talking to you. Unfortunately, I've an appointment with a local place today for a tasting, but I can call you tomorrow at your convenience. Sincerely, A.Z. Fell. Of course he has no appointment, and of course he's bluffing, but it will give him time to consider the best way to approach Michael about this. And, of course, Aziraphale's well aware that what he's been putting out is not exactly his usual work. He rewrote his entire first chapter to be more like what Gabriel wants, which is, of course, the conundrum. If it's more publishable, more what Gabriel is looking for, 
Does that mean it's his top-tier output? Doesn't that mean that his original writings, the secret ones for now, aren't as quality? Gabriel is the expert on the market. He knows what will work. Isn't that the definition of a successful style? And yet, Aziraphale knows. He knows his secret, frantic, previous bits and pieces about the wines and the country and everything else are more genuine, more raw, have more feeling imbued in them than anything he could ever write in Gabriel's style. He just feels it. But this is about convincing himself that Gabriel's right, that FTA knows what it's doing, and his... the bullshit book is really the way to keep everyone happy. Aziraphale closes his tablet and frowns. Now he has to find somewhere to visit today to support his cover. Maybe he'll be able to focus enough to write a better blog post about it. Actually, that's a lovely idea. It should also put Michael in a grand mood when Aziraphale finally calls her tomorrow. Excellent plan. He texts Warlock, who's upstairs, having an awkward face call with his parents, and dives into his notebook, looking for one of the many places Crowley has suggested.